All right, man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 259. Jason Lingren is with me, and Alphonse Fagiola is back with me. Um, we're going to get into more legal ideas. Um, Alphonse has been basically doing a method that is proven to work, and it will vary from, um, I'm trying to think of the, the pseudonym, Jason, KL. We, you probably just heard an episode by KL. And so what we're finding are there are many roads to success. It just depends how you want to go at it. But at the end of the day, they're all related. And I think you'll be able to put together um, the idea. And, you know, as we started talking with Alphonse, of course, one of the first things we're saying is the idea of the all caps name. The problem with what most people know about the all caps name is most of it is what Jason calls a patriot mythos. It's all just hearsay based on nothing. Uh, what we are doing is finding the methods that actually work. And Alphonse has hit it out of the park more than once. But what I'm also learning is that there is an absolute chain connecting the ideas underneath it all, which at some point, Jason and I may simply do an episode so that I can draw a line from all the things that I've learned because the people that we get on, what they're doing is they're focusing on how, how do I succeed here? And when they do succeed, um, that's passed on to everyone. So in other words, you could listen to Alphonse's method and go in and probably succeed. Um, KL, that method, which is way more involved and at a higher level in terms of who the law sees you as when you produce an ID. But we'll get to these things. Welcome, Jason. Good morning, Crow. So you got anything or should we uh, jump into the old affidavit? Let's do it. Okay, so welcome, Alphonse, and I'll say as I get you in here, um, I've been doing some occult work with the idea of twilight language, bird language, green language. You hear a lot of things. Um, I've said it so often. Words have meaning. Sounds like, usually is like. These are some of the things that relate to those supposed languages um, that I have had to kind of work out on my own, mostly with a little help here and there, as I don't have a teacher. But the affidavit actually relates to the name King David, which is Old Testament. And as we get into it, I will point out that there is a seal on the affidavit you are about to talk about. And that's all I'm going to say about it. But these things are important on an occult level, because another thing Jason and I are finding out is that those judges, we used to think the lower judges didn't know much. I don't think we think that anymore. I think when you go through judge school or whatever you want to call it, you're pretty much aware of what's been done to the populace at large. Anyhow, welcome, Alphonse. Hey, thank you guys. How you doing? Thanks for having me. Right on. Good to have you back. So where do you want to jump in here? Do you, do you want to just kind of bring people up to speed on what an affidavit is? Yeah, let's throw uh, a the most basic thing is a, an affidavit is an out-of-court testimony, an out-of-court statement. Technically, it's still hearsay, okay? It, it becomes uh, evidence when you walk into court and you testify to it. And there's a real simple way to do that when you're in court without having to testify to every little element of your affidavit. You can say a couple phrases and basically get your affidavit in the court record. You got to realize when you're dealing with these people, whether it's government, whoever it is, Unless you appear properly before them, which means you appear two ways, both in your physical body and in your paperwork. When you send them paperwork, you're still making an appearance when you send paperwork. So unless you appear properly and unless you reserve your rights, they're going to assume uh, control and jurisdiction over you. And we'll get into to how they're doing that. But basically, just think of an affidavit as your truth. OK, it's a statement of your facts that you're willing to testify in the court. 
Like I said, even though it's technically still hearsay because it's technically not on the court record because you didn't walk into court yet and testify to it, you've now raised the bar to the other party. You're saying, I'm willing to testify to these facts. Send me somebody from your side that's going to rebut my affidavit because that's you have to rebut an affidavit point for point. You just can't send a letter, you know, uh, with no without putting your skin on the line. You got it. You got to rebut it uh, point for point. So unless you somebody steps up from the other side and rebut your affidavit, it's going to stand as the facts of the case. So let's get into technically what an affidavit is, the elements. You need to have these elements in your affidavit or or it's not an affidavit. And a lot of people make mistakes. They'll call something an affidavit. They'll write on their paper affidavit and they'll miss a couple key elements. And, and whether it's a court proceeding or, or it's a, like an affidavit, everything has elements and a certain number of elements. And if you're missing any one of the elements that makes up that that thing, that that cause of action or, or the affidavit, your affidavit is not an affidavit. So you've got to tick off the boxes of, of all the things. So, so number one, affidavits must be made on your personal knowledge and state facts that are admissible in court. So these are your facts. You need that personal knowledge of the facts you're stating. Okay. You can't say you heard it from somebody and, and you don't want to quote past law, but past the rulings by their courts. You don't, that's all, 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 all an old court ruling is, is that's some court's opinion of, of that matter. Okay. You can't state that. You state the facts of the matter. Hey, I'm a flesh and blood man created by God. You can state that. Okay. That's your belief. And I, I highly doubt somebody's going to step forward and contradict you on that. So that's the number thing. Number one thing is you, you got to You got to do your facts based on personal knowledge. So that's the first thing you need to have. You must name the affiant, which which is you. So you could say, I, Alfonso Fagiola, the affiant. And, you know, I start blah, 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 blah. I start stating other things. So now I've identified myself as the affiant. I'm the person creating the affidavit. It's got to have the date on it. And generally, when the notary stamps it, they'll have the date on it. They'll, they'll fill the date in. Uh, it's got to state that the uh, affiant is competent to testify. So you could say, I'm of age or I'm competent to testify. As silly as that sounds, that's the language you need to put in an affidavit. I'm competent to testify in this matter. Uh, and you also state that uh, the affidavit's given under, uh, uh, your testimony is given under penalty of perjury. So you're saying, if I'm not telling the truth here, I'm willing to go to jail. Okay. And that's a good thing because what you're doing is you're raising the bar and you're challenging the other side to step forward and challenge that affidavit. So you want to draw them out. So you do make strong statements in your affidavit. It must be, as Crow was mentioning, it must be witnessed and sealed by a notary. The notary will stamp your affidavit. That's the seal. Or it needs to be witnessed by two parties. So if you get two parties to sign your affidavit and sign an affidavit themselves stating that they'll, they'll testify that, that, uh, that they witnessed your, your affidavit, that's as good as a notary. The most simple thing, go to the notary. It costs like five bucks to get a, to get a statement notarized. It's nothing. You walk in there, you give them your driver's license. <clears throat> they tell you to sign the document. You sign it and they stamp it and, and on your way you go. Uh, so now you have, technically that's sort of an officer of the court. And also you got to state the venue, which numbers, where it was, where this affidavit was, uh, was verified. And that's, the notary will do that also with their stamp. They'll sign it. Person from the, the notary will sign it and they'll, they'll stamp it. And another good thing that a lot of people don't add in their affidavits, but it's real good to add in. And this came from from a, a notary, a person that does notarization that wrote a real detailed book. Uh, there's a great little line in there that they recommend using in, in your case. 
if your case involves fraud or misdirection you know, or uh, misdirection or uh, and that's basically you want to state this case lacks the standard of regularity. It's not required, but it's great. What you're saying is this isn't a standard process here, and it never is because the the proceeding generally of the entity that's coming at you the other side. It's always in the name of a fiction. Well, that's not regular to have a, a fiction of law coming at you. And we'll get into the attorney and, and his involvement too. And it's not regular to have the attorney making claims against you. Let me jump in there for a second, though. This this happens every day in statute <clears throat> kind of corporate courts. So what is the idea of standard or regular? Is that relating to some provably authentic idea or is it how it sounds? <clears throat> this doesn't happen very often. Well. Technically, in any real legal proceeding, if I got a problem with you, Crow, I, I have a complaint. You, you hit my car and somebody's seen it and you took off, okay? <clears throat> I go file a complaint against you. You get served process. Someone knocks on your door. They give you papers of the complaint and they give you the summons attached to it telling you, you got to arrive to court on this date. You know, I've, I've, you've just been a complaint issued against you. That's a standard process, okay? When you send me something in the mail, just first class mail or you send me certified mail and you're making a claim in the name of a fictional entity, that's not a standard process. Okay. Cause there's all kinds of elements that are missing. They have a jump the constitution and assume that you are one of their citizens, one of their residents, and that they have authority to proceed against you in a certain way. Uh, and we're going to challenge that. I want to show you how to challenge that. I, I understand. So, I mean, what we're saying here is the word that you would think of is not the idea that this happens regularly more that there is a standard to be upheld here right and that's in their own rules of civil procedure that you right, okay. got to get service of process and unless that court gives you service of process that court never gains personal jurisdiction of you well when somebody sends you a letter in the mail or they send you certified mail that's not service of process okay it's a violation of their own rules they don't have personal jurisdiction of you that court they didn't go through the proper process they didn't go through the standard process they went through an irregular process. All right. So I'll, I'll add in before you continue on a couple of the tricks that relate directly to what you're saying. Uh, as you mentioned, you need two witnesses. In other words, as, as an individual, you could state your truth all day long, but it doesn't mean much until there are two witnesses. Sometimes we hear people say that the person making the statement can be a witness and then another, which in the case of what you just described would mean Alphonse was a witness and the person who sealed it, uh, the notary, could be a witness. But a trick of the trade that Jason and I uh, were just made privy to is to work to get the actually officers in in the city or wherever you're dealing with to become a witness. But you, just to make the point, if you can get two people outside of yourself that are actually within the court system or the municipality, then all the better. But you see the way you're doing that, you're going to get that anyhow, at least one more beyond the person who sealed the document, because when you submit that, they have to respond. If they do not respond, then it's tacitly accepted that what you stated is true. So if they do respond without saying, no, this isn't true, which hardly ever happens, I'm guessing, you've got a witness, which is actually, I don't know, an officer of the court, whatever the heck you'd call the individual in the, in the municipality or the court or wherever it has happened, there's one witness. If they don't respond, you've collected their tacit permission by non-response, which also makes them a witness, doesn't it? Yes. So yes. there it is. But the importance of the, I, I thought it was ingenious when I heard it because I had never thought about it. 
Um, you could consider yourself a witness, but what I'm hearing is if you want to get those coffin nails out, you want two witnesses outside yourself. And if you're clever, you can collect those witnesses from within the system. Yeah. And, and it's like what you were telling me about the, the guest you're going to have on. He's probably doing, it's probably the same similar things that I'm doing right here. It's just in a different name and a different form, but, but we're both riding on the same element. It's you true. are. You are what you're what you're basically doing is you are asserting the rights that a living man once had commonly uh, before what I'll call corporate law, which is statutes were applied to you. And so what you seem to be doing from my very kind of still naive point of view, learning as I can, is you are applying the fact that you're a living man and you can prove it into a system that's trying to ignore it. The other system is based on uh, foundationally on the very same idea. Right. And j just to try and remove this fog that everyone has, there are only two types of proceedings. There are judicial proceedings and there are administrative proceedings, also referred to as commercial proceedings, commercial law. They're the only two proceedings there are. OK. In a judicial proceeding, like I said, you get service a process. Someone knocks on your door, they hand you a complaint and they have a summons attached to it. That's the court's attempt to get personal jurisdiction of you in, in this matter. And it's the plaintiff's attempt to give the court personal jurisdiction of you. A judicial proceeding has a judge that he decides the law in a judicial proceeding, in, in their judicial proceeding, and the jury decides the facts, okay? So in a common law, the jury determines both the law and the facts, but we're not gonna get a common law court today. It's just not gonna happen, okay? I know so, people- So what, do you call it? what are you calling that jurisdiction? If you were to name it as a jurisdiction, what would you call what you just described? That is personal jurisdiction. I would consider that that that's basically court needs two things to proceed against you. They need personal jurisdiction of you and they need subject matter jurisdiction of the matter. You know, uh, so that's an attempt to get personal jurisdiction of you. So you would be in the public realm, basically. Yes, they're trying. Yeah, they're trying to keep you. If you think about it yeah. that way. They're trying right, to I'm, keep the public realm instead of letting you. Right. Right. I'm just trying to draw the lines. We've covered no, so fine. many things that now I'm working to try to consolidate and show there is a sensible thread. So that's why I keep interrupting you. And I'm sorry. No, that, no, that's cool. But I'm saying that's a judicial process. Basically, there's a judge and there's a jury. Judge decides the law, jury decides the facts. So we got that. Okay. And, and there's service of process. Someone knocks on your door and hands you papers. We got that. In an administrative proceeding, you receive a notice in a regular mail. You know, you go to your mailbox one day and there's a letter in there from the, the town or the county, whatever. Or you get a certified mailing to you where they make you sign. That's not service of process. OK, so right away, that entity that's trying to get jurisdiction of you in that court, that's not personal jurisdiction. They, they can't get personal jurisdiction that way. They're going to try and get it in a different way. They're going to trick you. And I'll show you we'll get into that. But in an administrative proceeding, the judge, he determines both the law and the facts. So we know how that goes. You know, him and the prosecutor or him and the other attorney are working together. Fox so it, in the hen house. Fox in the hen house. Yeah, you have no chance. But but that's so if you don't get service of process, someone knocking on your door, handing you papers, you're in an administrative proceeding or called a commercial proceeding. So that's the only two proceedings you're going to be in. Now we're almost always in an administrative proceeding because I've never had anyone file a complaint against me that was a real man or woman. It's always by from somebody, their attorney who's filing for a fiction of law. OK, that's well, that's an administrative proceeding. That's not a that's not a judicial proceeding. That's not that's not moving according to the Constitution. Now, here's what you need to remember. 
the administrative court and like all the actors involved, whether it be the judge, the other attorney, they get their authority to move against you strictly from the statute that they're citing, not the Constitution. So that's the default process of how they're going, how that court and that alleged plaintiff are proceeding against you. It's a corporate thing. Just to be clear, yes. a statute is basically a corporation. So as I listen to you, uh, the ju- the judicial side of things, but they're both basically doing the same thing. If I'm following you, they're trying to pull you into the public realm. And by the way, the administrative thing sounds to me now that I've had time to understand a little bit more, like what's actually happening is they're not trying to do anything, but get you to do a thing you think you should do. And so many people are used to thinking, oh, well, I get a bill for my trash or I get these things from my municipality, they do it because they think they're required to do it. And so am I describing this properly? Yes. Yeah. They're, they're trying to, they're trying to ignore the facts that they're trying to ignore ignore the truth. And they're trying to proceed against you. Like you're one of theirs. You're, you're one of their, you're one of their subjects. You're one of their people in their administrative administrative system. And that's how they're going to move against you. And unless you challenge that in a certain way, and it's really simple to challenge, they're just going to keep proceeding that way. And like you said, if you take certain actions and you don't reserve certain things and you show up and do certain things, they're going to take that as your consent to ignore your constitutional rights and proceed according to their statutes. That's really what they're doing here. So when you unknowingly consent to a court's jurisdiction, You've agreed that you're the defendant. That's why they call you that the, the, the defendant on that paperwork, because a defendant has certain rights within that statute. That statute determines what the plaintiff's rights and what the defendant's rights are. So we always think in the matter of a con- the Constitution determines rights. But when you're when they're proceeding against you in this administrative process, their entire world is that statute. And in that statute, it spells out what the plaintiff's rights are and what the defendant's rights are. That's why they're trying to tag you as a defendant in the proceeding. I'm going to show you how to, how to stop that. You know? So just to, to interrupt one more time, and I apologize, there's an occult side to the language being used that people need to start becoming aware of. All these procedures are great, and people are learning ways, but to grow up all the way, you need to start taking apart the language. I will point out what Alphonse just said was defendant. Look at the prefix of that word. You've been made deaf. And I'll just leave it there. Go ahead, Alphonse. No, that's exactly what they're doing. They because they can't call you a man, or they, they, if they call you a defendant, well, now they put you in a in a bucket, and in the bucket you have certain rights. Okay, and that's exactly what they're doing to you. So when they want they want to tag that defendant to you, because remember that defendant has only certain rights according to that statute. <clears throat> so that's why they're trying to attach that that term to you. Right, because you've lost your jurisdiction. Um, you've responded to a thing that is a complete fiction. No verbal anything was directed to you from a living anybody, and yet you put yourself in the jurisdiction. That almost is the literal de- definition of being deaf. Um, exactly. To, to put a fine point on it, there's more to that word, but go ahead. And no, that's exactly it. Now, remember, since you're agreed, unknowingly agreed, to be proceed in this matter, not under the constitution, but under the statute, that judge hears nothing <laughs> that you say, <laughs> and he sees nothing that you do. He's the, like to hear nothing, see nothing, you know, say nothing. <laughs> that's exactly what he is. Yeah, you don't have any rights that, that's under that statute. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, do you need an attorney to represent you at that point? Uh, not, well, if you're foolish enough, you'll get an attorney to represent you. Cause that, cause remember he, he's, they're all members of the bar association. 
And their first allegiance is to the, the court and to the bar association, not to their client. As so many people find out the hard way. Right. Yes. The minute you're represented, you've already submitted to both the jurisdiction and to some degree, you've identified yourself as in the public or a person without rights. In some ways, when you get an attorney, you've almost ended the case at the outset. I think you're also acknowledging that you're incompetent, right? Right. Yeah, technically, yeah, you are. That's exactly what you're doing. You're saying you're, you know, you're awarded a court. You need this guy, you need this guy to speak for you because you can't do it yourself. That's what you're telling the court. And that's why bad enough that you're deaf, but you can't speak for yourself either. Right. And that's why, uh, that's why they're dying to get you an attorney, you know, because remember, and to break the language down, an attorney can only represent or represent another party. Okay. They can only act in limited fashion for another party. An attorney doesn't have carte blanche to do anything he wants for that other party. So he's only representing that party. You, they'll try and tag you as pro se if you represent yourself. But you could shoot that down, you say, if they say, Mr. Fadjoli, you represent yourself? Objection, sir. I'm not representing myself. I am myself. And just leave it at that. And if he challenges you on that, and it, like, to, to what's the difference? Say, sir, an attorney represents another party. He has limited abilities as to what he can do. I have no limited abilities as to what I can do. I'm not representing myself. I am myself. So in a way, you've sort of removed yourself from that all caps name that everyone worries about. Right. So I was going to just say that what you've done is used another tactic to get to the same result as I guess Mark from Australia just laid down, where when the judge tries to trap him, is this you having said the all caps name, he replies to the judge, you can call me the beneficiary here. So the same thing is going on uh, in two different ways. Just to make it perfectly clear, I'm trying to sew together the things that work that we've gotten from different people, just so people understand and they quit fighting about things, that there's a common thread that I can start to understand now. But isn't that a better way to do it than to walk in and say, I'm not the old cat's name? Well, of course it is, because when what, we, what we've begun to learn is the judge is also going to test you out to find out if you're going to babble or speak like an adult human being. And if you go in and say, you know, oh, I'm not the all caps name, probably the judge is going to find out if he can make you babble. And if you're not on your game, you will. So what you're doing from the outset is proving that you understand the difference between the fiction in his hand represented by the all caps and being a man granted the divine spark by presumably a God or something like that. Um, so yeah, it is a big difference because I think the way that you're doing it establishes that, you know, a couple things, which makes it less likely that the judge is going to come knocking on your door with a sledgehammer, trying to get you to screw up so he can right. get his jurisdiction and not right. be liable and all the things that go with it. And remember when you, you can appear, and we're going to get into that too. You can appear in two ways in body, you know, you show up in body, and you also appear in your paperwork. So when you file papers into a proceeding, even before you've, you've gone to court for anything, you're actually making an appearance in that matter. There's two phrases we're going to use. I'm going to show you, they're very basic, but there's two phrases we're going to use, and I'll get into the details of them later. But one, you're going to state that you're there, you're there by special appearance. And I'll get into it in, in a couple of minutes what that is. You're there by special appearance. And you, you're, you reserve all your rights. You, you, uh, you waive none ever. And those two phrases, Critical. You, sort of just, you sort of just screwed up their ballgame, okay? Here's how slimy they are. Alphonse, you should make a, a, a little 
a slightly more statement on the idea of being special appearance. People may not have understood why that okay. is so critically important. And that is, in some cases, the whole damn game. If that gets screwed up, then you might as well just go lose. Yeah, uh, and I'll give you the, the Cliff Notes version of it. Basically, if you walk into court and, and, and you don't specify your appearance and you just, the judge talks to you and you respond and you, when you respond and you haven't specified your appearance, they, they assume you're making a general appearance, it's called. And when you make a general appearance, you have agreed that the court has jurisdiction in this matter. You, you don't even know you did it, okay? All you're doing is answering questions. When you don't specify you're making a special appearance, you're making a general appearance. And when you make a general appearance, and it's case law, I'll show it, it's in Black's Law Dictionary, and at the end of Black's Law, they'll give you exact cases where these are the exact words stated by courts, that uh, there's general appearance and there's special appearance. Now, when you make a special appearance, what you're saying is, I'm giving the court jurisdiction in very limited fashion just to address this matter, just to address these certain things I need to address, but I'm not giving this court jurisdiction of all uh, this matter. So you're, you're, you're reserving, basically, you're reserving a right by doing that, but, but you need to walk into court. You need to do it on your paperwork. It's the first line I put on my paperwork. I'm here before this court by special appearance. So technically, to rephrase that, isn't this really what's going on? You are informing the court that the thing that they are prosecuting on the paper, you are now the administrator of, and you are differentiating the fact that that paper is not you, that name, that thing, that fiction, whatever the hell you want to call it is not you. And you are serving to administrate this contrivance or whatever you want, controversy, whatever you want to call it. Right. Isn't that really what's going on? Yes, that and a couple other things. And also, you're basically challenging the court, the jurisdiction of the court. And the only way you could do that is by special appearance. And, and here's the killer line, which is going to tie right into what you just said. You're going to really establish yourself as a man because your next line is going to be, I reserve all my rights. I waive none ever. That's it. Now, we know what, your, what, your, what our rights are. Our rights don't come from the Constitution. We talked about this. They're, they're only secured by the Constitution. The same Constitution that that attorney the dirt ball on the other side that he has an oath to, to uphold. And same thing with that guy in the dress, the black dress. He has an oath to uphold. So now you just said, hey, we're supposed to be operating by the Constitution here, guys. I'm reserving all my rights because the main right you have, and you have many, but the main right you have that's being exploited before you right now is if you look at your state constitution and the federal constitution, the federal constitution, it's Amendment 7. You'll find uh, uh, basically uh, suits at common law of $20 or more. Okay, that basically what, what Amendment 7 to the Constitution is, it's really your right to a jury trial. Okay, that's what that is. And if you look in your state constitution, you're going to find also another, uh, it's going to be from, generally under Article 1, it's either like Section 1 or for within the first five sections, you're going to find first one to 10 sections, you're going to find your right to a jury trial. It's going to actually state that your right to a jury trial is inviolate, which means it's permanent. It can't be swept under the rug. So <clears throat> when you go in there and state, I reserve all my rights, one of the rights you're reserving is, hey, I have a right to a jury trial. Well, in that administrative proceeding that you're before the court, they don't want to give you a jury trial because that's a whole mess that you can create for them by, by uh, opening up a jury trial. 
does liability come if, if you force them into a jury tribal tri, uh, trial? Um, do, do all the officers there in the supposed court become liable at that point? Is that part of it? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, rule number one, and this is it, 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 they know it too. A man can't file a suit in the name of a fiction. Okay. You got to file it for yourself. You need to have standing. Okay, it's the only way you can get into court is you need to have standing. It means the matter must have affected you in some direct way. A fictional entity doesn't have standing. The attorney who files for the fictional entity, he can't speak for a fiction. It's, it's a totally unfair process. That's like me filing a suit on behalf of Mickey Mouse against them. And when they're fighting, I'm saying, well, Mickey has this right and Mickey says this. I can't, Mickey Mouse doesn't exist. I can't speak for Mickey Mouse. Well, it's the same thing with the attorney. He can't speak for the legal fiction because he don't have personal knowledge of anything and he can't speak for a fiction of law. So you want to establish I'm reserving all my rights. And that's the main one you're reserving is your right to a jury trial, because if they're going to proceed, that's fraud. If somebody files suit against you in the name of a fiction, they've committed fraud against you. OK, and we're going to prove that it's fraud and we're going to do that by another way. And, and the way I'm going to do it through affidavit. I'm not going to get into debates with the judge. I'm not going to win any debate with the judge. He's going to steamroll me. I, I can't win with the judge. There's only one thing I can do with a judge to keep him in line, to keep him in, under control. And that's to file an affidavit into the case. But I'm going to file my affidavit even before the court date. I'm going to get that affidavit in their hands before the court date. When I walk into court, I'm going to stand on that affidavit. And he pre-proceeds. -pre oh, time out, judge. I'm here by special appearance. I reserve all my rights. Waive none. Waive none ever. And oh, by the way, judge. I have an affidavit in this matter that's yet to be uh, rebutted. Uh, we can't proceed until the other side rebuts my affidavit. Because the purpose of a trial, whether it's administrative or judicial, is to get to the truth, to get to the facts. Well, you've written the facts down in your affidavit. So you've now gone to level up from the other side. Because the other side, everything they're doing is hearsay. The attorney has no personal knowledge of anything he's filed against you. It's all come from secondhand, thirdhand sources. He has no personal knowledge of anything. So anything he states or anything he files in this case, it's hearsay. You can't proceed by hearsay in a court matter, okay? So if he doesn't have personal knowledge and he's claiming to represent a fiction of law, well, Mr. and Mrs. Aston Township better be taking a stand here because I got some questions. I have a right to face my accuser here. Who's it going to be? Mr. and Mrs. Aston coming in. Because nobody working for that, that government agency is going to file an affidavit to meet your affidavit because it's personal liability. If they, if they challenge my affidavit and I prove that what they're saying is total bull and it's a lie, they have full exposure. I could go after everything that person owns. So they're never going to step forward and challenge my affidavit. Well, the entire process should also um, be showing people the underlying cause of all of this and that's how you were viewed by the so-called court how you were viewed by your so-called municipality which again jason and i will have once again tied we've done it a few times to 1933 um it has to do with why there's a gold fringe flag all these things but what you're pointing out is if you just walk in and act like anyone joe blow from idaho off the street you've already walked into a situation where you're being viewed as an enemy basically um so much of what you are describing alphonse is to 
reserve your rights to not let the assumption that you are an enemy combatant or however the hell you want to phrase that. Um, that's really the opening salvo, isn't it? And the affidavit that you're talking about is kind of like the bedrock that you're going to be standing on. Did I get any of that wrong? No, that, that's exactly it. And what that affidavit is, is like I said, I'm going to file that even before the court proceeding. And I'm going to, it's sort of like a, a, a pre-action volley against them. I'm throwing, I'm lobbing a grenade over there. And because I'm going to, I'm going to remove every presumption that they are making against me in that affidavit. And when we show up to court and the, the judge says, well, Mr. Fadge, I want to let so-and-so speak. Oh, objection, sir, per rule 602. That's both state and federal rule of evidence that uh, a witness needs to have personal knowledge in a matter to testify to it. Mr. Attorney over here has no personal knowledge. He can't speak in this matter, judge. If he wants to speak, sir, you're going to have to put him on the roof. I demand he be put on the roof to speak in this matter. So uh, you're, you're basically removing all that, uh, you know, all, all the, uh, like you said, when you step into court, you've granted general jurisdiction. If you don't step up right away and state, I'm here by special appearance and I reserve all my rights. And remember, here's the main thing. This is even in their, their statutes, codes, the rules of evidence. There's only one way evidence gets on the record. And that's through the testimony of a witness. So Anything that's been filed against you by the other side that you've gotten in the mail, uh, any statements that these government people have made against you, it's all noise. It's all hearsay because nobody stepped forward and testified to it yet. And if nobody testified to it yet, it's hearsay. It's meaningless. And what your affidavit it does is it draws them out. It's basically calling them on the, on the bull. Hey, everything you're saying is garbage. Here, I, I believe it so much that I put the facts down and I'm, I've sworn it and I'm willing to come into court and testify to it. Now, are you willing to match my affidavit and rebut mine so that we can come eye to eye again? Because right now I've got an affidavit before the court, even though my affidavit technically is hearsay to I testify to it. I'm still a notch above you now. I'm above you. Let's get you out, out of here. Let's draw you out of the, uh, the brush here and come out and answer my affidavit. Because until you answer my affidavit, there are no facts in dispute. The only way a court can decide a matter is based on the law and the facts in dispute. So if I bring an affidavit in and I say, I'm going to give you a little phrase here, I'll say in court that I'm going to testify to my affidavit without having been sworn in by them. I don't need to be sworn in by them. I'm going to get my affidavit on the record. When I get my affidavit on the record, that's the only evidence on that court record to date. Nothing that attorney's done is on the court record. And nothing that anyone for, that he's claiming to represent has done is on the court record. So, so important people remember, there's only one way evidence gets on the record, and that's through testimony. So if someone hasn't testified you in a, in a, testified against you in a matter, I don't care if it's something that happened two, three years ago, you could go challenge that matter, okay? You need to have witnesses. You need to have personal knowledge of a matter. If nobody testified in any matter that happened against you or it's happening against you now, there's no evidence in, in this case. There's no evidence on the court record. The only way a judge can make a decision is based on the evidence. If there's no evidence for the other side, how can he make a decision for the other side when you're the only party that has evidence on the record? That's the power of your affidavit. All right. I think we've pretty thoroughly covered the affidavit. By the way, you, you want to get in here on something, Jason? Well, let's take it from here. Where are we going with this, with the explanation of the affidavit? What is it that you can do with these things? Because as we've discussed off the air, these things can be very powerful. Right. Think about it. And, and here's the power. Are you more comfortable 
taking time in your own home, writing everything down you want to say and everything you want to challenge in a preset format. That's the way we're normal human beings. We're not attorneys. We're not professional attorneys, okay, that they think off the top of our head we run into court. Most people, that's overwhelming. People get overwhelmed in court. So you want to write all your stuff down in that affidavit beforehand. So when you walk into court, you now have an outline of everything you can. You, you don't need to be lost. That affidavit is now your outline. Uh, so if anyone wants to challenge you on anything, you have a nice little outline right there in front of you. You don't have to think off the top of your head and worry about people tricking you. You stick to your affidavit. Listen, I said there's there's a lot of brilliant people that, that have have done a lot of great things, but for most people, the most the common man, it's overwhelming to remember all that stuff. And and the sad part of way about why the way people proceed is they learn something off the internet, they see something, they see a document, they hear an interview like this or whatever, and they hang on to that one thing, okay, that one little tidbit. And the problem is you need to understand. Like, it's great that these people teach you this stuff, but you need to understand it and make it your own because you need to be able to explain it. Because if you can't explain it, when you get into court, that guy in the dress, he's going to trip you up with one or two questions and down a drain you're going to go. Because if you're only hanging on that little tidbit you got off the Internet and he throws you a curveball and you don't know how to answer it, you're gone. So that's another reason you want to operate with an affidavit, because you want to get all your thoughts down and, and condensed, and you stick to that affidavit. Remember, courts are there for justicable controversies. Well, if I've submitted facts into this proceeding, and I'm going to get them on the record with a couple phrases here, and I get my facts on the record, uh, what's that guy in a black dress have to do now? Because he, he can't deny my affidavit, okay? He can't amend my affidavit. He can't do anything with that affidavit. The only one that can respond to the affidavit is the other side. And that's a liability issue for them. They're, they're not going to want to step forward and, and respond to your affidavit. So stop with everything I hear people saying, everything's a contract. This is a contract. That's a contract. They're not contracts. Your driver's license is not a contract. The judge is not trying to get you into a contract when he's asking you questions. He's trying to gain jurisdiction over you. I mean, to, to the five basic elements of a contract, there has to be an offer made to you. You've got to accept that offer. There's got to be an exchange of consideration. There's got to be full disclosure, a meeting of the minds, and it's got to be signed by two sentient beings. If any one of those elements is missing in anything, a traffic ticket, a, a tax bill, it's not a contract. You'll never hear a, an appellate court or a judge say, well, you contracted with me. What are the appellate court saying? You contracted with the court. No, they're going to say you waived jurisdiction. And how did you waive jurisdiction? You didn't make a special appearance. And you didn't reserve your rights. That's how you waive jurisdiction. Yeah, but for the license, I mean, I guess you could argue that the the license is missing the two signatures. And actually, I don't think that's even true in some states. I think you do get the extra signature um, in the seal and in other ways. Um, that's that's an agreement, right? The seal's not a signature because the seal can't testify. Okay, so out of the five things, on average, what I would deduce right now is you might be able to argue there's not two signatures, if that is one of the binding elements of a contract, but it is an agreement. If they go in there and they treat it as an agreement and you want to fight about it and defend the fact that one of the elements was dropped, I'm with you all day, but I think things like licenses, for all intents and purposes, you might as well consider them a contract. certainly an agreement, right? I don't want to fight with them. I'm just going to put it in my affidavit. I'm going to challenge it in my affidavit. Uh, there's no fight when I put it in my affidavit. Let that let the uh, let the other side let the prosecutor uh, step forward 
and, and challenge, rebut my affidavit because he can't do it. He's got no personal knowledge of that. He wasn't there when they wrote that law. He don't know who that law applies to. He's working under presumptions. He's got no personal knowledge of any matter. So I'm going to challenge the, that, that traffic ticket in my affidavit before I set foot in court. I don't want to argue with anybody. There's no reason to argue with them. I'm not going to win an argument with them. I'm going to win an argument when I put in my affidavit and I make them step forward and challenge it. Because if they don't challenge it, it's tacit law. They acquiesce. They agree that everything I put in my affidavit is the truth. So when I tell them uh, a driver's license is not a, a contract, you know, it's it's not an agreement. It's how, not. How is it not though? If you because, if you is, have is privileges, license, well, is a driver's license I'm, compulsory or is it uh, or do you willingly get it? I would say it's compulsory. But it's not. You could say it's no. Not. That's no. That's the whole point. You could say no. You and that's the trap because every time you left your house and had to interact with officialdom, you'd get screwed with. So it feels like it's compulsory, but at any time you could say, no, I'm not taking this. The truth is none of us are going to do that because of all the hassle that'll follow. But the point is, is once your signature goes down, I'm pretty sure you're, it's a minimally an agreement. I don't know if legally you'd call it a contract, um, but it certainly is. You are saying you will abide by the rules of these privileges being granted. Basically, you're recognizing the authority of someone to grant you privileges, to be blunt about it. But I, I'm just, that's that's where I'm getting stuck. How is that not, I, I don't know if technically the legal word is a contract, but there's damn sure agreement going on there. No, because there's no such thing as a unilateral contract or unilateral agreement. There's got to be two parties that agree, okay? Uh, there has to be another man on the other side that, that agree, that's granting me these privileges. So you're, uh, fi- you're coming back to yeah, you're coming back to the same idea that the system is foul and these fictitious entities are the other side. Um, but again, in some in some places, I think these things are tied to the governor of the state uh, when the DMV does things. I think in, like in California, if I remember correctly, I'm not 100% sure, but I think a lot of that stuff you get is signed by the comptroller or the governor, somebody. So there is actually supposedly a human being somewhere along the line. But my point is, if you're signing a thing, that's an agreement, isn't it? Well, Crow, if I'm going to challenge that it's an agreement, I challenge it in my affidavit. What's the only way evidence gets on a court record? Well, right. I'm with you all day long. Um, Who's going to come I'm, in? The controller? Is the governor coming in? Some, no, that's, testify. that's the point. That's how you prove the system is foul. Right. Um, but I think right. it's critical. Never, that, I think it's critical to understand that when you're signing a thing, there something is happening there. It's not just a nothing. Well, they want you, it's like your cable contract. People say, oh, I'm, I'm in my cable contract. I have another two years on my cable contract. That's not a contract. That's a service agreement. You, you signed a service agreement with a service provider. It's not enforceable. That cable company can't sue you in court. That's why they hand it off to a bill collection agency to try and get paid. That's why they don't file a complaint against you and bring you in court because there's nobody on their other side that can enforce it. This is not a contract. Now we're getting down to the crux of it. The system is so foul and so all-encompassing that all these things to try to compel you or fool you into thinking uh, a thing is normal that is not normal is what's going on. And you know what you did with the license there is a primary thing. It feels like you don't have a choice, but nonetheless, in the state I'm in, and I noticed this a few years ago, the change at the very top of my auto insurance, it says, here's the offer. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's no mints and words with that. 
they're telling you, here's the offer. But but you see, the system is so foul. I just got my re-registration notice. And on that, it says, we will not let you re-register your car unless you prove you're insured. So the circle goes round and round. It's all based on things that are not correct, that can be challenged in court. But nonetheless, we all know if we drive out into the street without our plates, someone's going to hassle us and it's going to go on and on and on until we've either showed ourselves to be tough enough that you don't want to screw with us. But, you know, that's I'm just pointing out. Yeah, the entire system is rigged. So then it's compulsory. The license is compulsory. If you drive around without your license or your tags, some armed man is going to force you off the road and threaten you. So it's compulsory. I don't know if it's not and I'm, I'm, in a, I'm in a court for a traffic ticket, and I asked the judge, so it's not compulsory, so I don't need this license? What's he going to say? Oh, I don't need the license to drive then, right, right, judge? Is that what you're telling me? It's not compulsory. Well, technically speaking, it's a commercial instrument, isn't it? Right. So you could do the same, the exact same thing you're doing at the municipal level you could do in that situation. You could force the judge to say, if you knew what you were doing and how to conduct yourself, that the license is not compulsory. There is nobody compelling you. But on the other side of the coin, we all know damn well what you said is true. A dude with a gun's going to be up in your grill, right? That's another way that, that there's a, a great little clip that they're telling you about Robert Fox. Just a brief overview of Robert Fox. I, I highly recommend everyone jump online and there's about, I'd say about 10 hours of a, it's a thing he did, a, an event he did. He spoke and he, he taught. Uh, Robert Fox had the federal government come after him 10 times. He had the best attorneys on the other side coming after him. He beat, he's 10 and 0. He beat him every time. He didn't beat him with motions. He beat him with affidavits. Remember, if you motion into a court, motions are for attorneys, okay? Attorneys motion against another attorney, okay? The reason they do that they don't want to file affidavits. I, I highly doubt you'll ever see an attorney file an affidavit. He'll claim to file an affidavit for another, for the client, but the language is always real suspect. It's never, never anything that's going to get the client in trouble. It's all general stuff. So it's all motions. Everything's done in motions. So you want to live in the world of affidavits. Uh, that is the truth. So uh, like I said, before I walk into any proceeding, whether it's a traffic ticket or a, a tax thing, my paperwork's already been defaulted on. I've already got it in their hands. They've defaulted on it. They didn't respond in a given time. And when I walk into that court, sorry, I got an affidavit here. And I'm going to get that testimony on that, on that court record right away. Because right now, at that point, I'm the only one who has facts on the court record. So, sir, did a man in a black dress, why are we here? If there's, if there's no one from the other side here to testify and to rebut my affidavit point for point, why are we here in this matter? So what I was going to ask is if no, when you first submit the affidavit and there's no response, is that one of the situations where you got to do a reminder for, is, you know, or is just one time, if you submit it and no one responds, have you done what you need to do? Or is it one of these things where you got to send a reminder, say, Hey, you, you didn't respond. You got 15 days here. Or is that one failure to respond enough to get you on your way? One's all you need. And you'll hear anyone who says otherwise, they're, they're operating according to statutes based on this. OK, well, you're not obligated to follow their statutes. OK, you're obligated to one thing. Tell the truth. OK, so when I file a claim, you make a claim against me and I rebut your claim in affidavit form and I do it with, with a notary seal, you have an obligation to give me an answer. And if you don't give me an answer, you've tacitly agreed to what I what I sent you. 
you've acquiesced that everything I put in that affidavit is true. Uh, and we need to proceed no further in this matter until somebody from the other side steps forward, because the only way evidence gets on the record is through testimony of a witness. And I don't see anybody on the other side that's got that's going to testify. The attorney's not going to testify. Nobody from the township's going to testify. The cop can only testify to certain things. He's seen you go through the light. So what? I went through the light. Mr. Cop, what evidence do you have that my physical location makes your corporate laws applicable to me? Which you can't do. And you that, can't that, do it. And they that, won't let him answer. They'll jump in. This is why the system is foul. And this is why there's a whole... The occult side of what's going on here is enough to blow a mind. And I've been looking at it and unraveling it and taking the words apart and doing all these things. But as we point out, the system is foul. There's, you don't have to have a damn license. Not a freaking law that applies to a living man or a woman that compels you to do any of that. But we all know damn well, if we drive out without it, a guy with a gun's going to get up on us and it's going to be a hassle and it's going to go on and on and on until it doesn't. But consider these as we begin to wrap up our one as the occult side of just how foul this is, as Alphonse is pointing out that black dress. Things do not happen in a vacuum. That black dress is black for a damn reason. And as we pointed out in the mysterious world of color, whenever you add black to a color, you despiritualize it. Whenever you add white to a color, you spiritualize it. So when you get all the way down to jet black, what you're looking at is a very specific idea. And I don't think I need to describe it. And I think we all know that color goes to Saturn. Lead is the color of that. The kind of cold, frozen, arresting, binding ideas. Uh, lead blocks all light to take it a step further. That is the occult part of why that man is wearing the black dress. But to make it even worse, I can take something as simple as when Alphonse is pointing out the court. Well, you might be in a circuit court. Why are they calling it a circuit court? It's no different than the commerce. That is an electric circuit, literally an electric circuit. They will tell you, oh, well, we call it a circuit judge because back in the days of horses and ponies, these judge went on this circuitous route on a horse because they had to go from little place, town, 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 court, court, court. So we called it a circuit. So they've got a clever, provably, probably true description but the truth is, it is literally a spiritual electric circuit. And we've got to consider these things because people may or may not accept that when you walk in there, you're considered an enemy. It's true. It's provably true. But a lot of people just want to live their lives. So in closing of hour one, I'll add this. In the methods that Alphonse is showing me, I think they're perfect for a, perfin, a person or a man or a woman, maybe I should say who just wants to live like they've always lived, but they don't want to be bullied. And when these things happen and you get notified and you're getting mad and you've had enough, the methods he's laying down are enough for you to go and carry yourself in and say, don't bully me, bucko. You're not going to get away with it. But it doesn't change the fact that the bullying can come again and again and again. Although, as Alphonse has pointed out, and people like Mark from Australia, they kind of know who you are after you've kicked them in the nads once or twice, and they tend not to want to tangle with you anymore. But I think it's critical to point out these things. Jason, anything you want to add before I wrap up hour one? Alphonse, I know we've had this discussion before. Do you want to give out any contact info, or are you not doing that at the moment? Yeah, I'll do that, but I'm not going to be able to get back to people right away because I, I, I'm handling my own stuff right now. So. You're, you're, a fair warning, you're going to get barraged if you give out contact. 
Yeah, I always want to help people out, though. Yeah, you can give okay. my contact information out. It's uh, Alpha Dog Music, A-L-F-A-D-O-G-M-U-S-I-C at gmail.com. And just to close on the first hour, uh, just the power of language, just to show you, like I told you before, Crow, there's truth and there's not truth. And everything in the middle that's gray is not truth. I don't care how they dress it up. And in the Robert Fox incident, there was a there was a time, there was a, a thing happened where he got pulled over by a cop traffic uh, thing. And uh, he wouldn't identify himself to the cop. And, you know, the cops, well, failure to identify yourself. That's, that's you know, that's it's against the law. And they wind up taking him to court. I mean, they wind up that arrested him. OK, and they, they actually arrested him and they beat him. Okay, So they took him to jail. So when he shows up for his trial, he has the, you know, the, 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 the prosecutor has the, uh, the, the cop up there and they make the case. And it's obvious that. Robert Fox has violated their law. You know, he's violated the law. There's no, no doubt about it. So Fox, just using basic language, asked the cop, sir, did you swear an oath to uphold the Constitution? And the cop said, yes, sir. When you approached my car, were you armed? What do you mean? Sir, did you have a gun on you? Yes, sir. I have a right not to incriminate myself. Fifth Amendment right not to incriminate myself, sir. By force of arms, you force me off the road, you approach my car armed to get me to, to use force threatened arrest to violate my right to not incriminate myself. And jaws dropped. Cops jaw dropped, the judges jaw dropped. Because isn't that really what just happened? That this guy has an oath to the Constitution, but because he's armed, he forced you off the road, he approached you. You're not going to fight with a guy with a gun. You're not going to argue with a guy with a gun. And by him asking for your license and where you're coming from and all that stuff, he's compelling you to testify against yourself, which you have a right not to self-incriminate yourself. And that's exactly what happens in every traffic stop. And if you lay this out in an affidavit form before you go into court for this matter, it puts a real problem in their way, a real hurdle for it, because they're not used to people responding back to them in that way. And what you're saying is factually true. So that, that's all I wanted to say to end, end hour one. That relates exactly to what Mark was pointing out when you sign the idea of putting the dot, 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 SOS, signing under duress, which usually gets dismissed by point. But I'll ask a simple question as I close down the first hour of episode 258 with Jason and Alphonse. How does all this get viewed or processed if it becomes openly admitted that we're all viewed as rebels, enemy combatants, problems, basically? which is the idea of martial law, which has never really been openly admitted, but can be proved that it's been on the book since at least 33. And by the time you hear this, you'll have heard the episode. And that's really where we're standing. As last night, I got an email from Mark in Australia talking about the omnibus that's getting passed in Australia that talks about preemptive or indefinite prison. And it's getting real up in here. And you've got to imagine that these kind of emergency power acts that have been floating under the surface and no one's been willing to admit to, you got to wonder what's going to happen if that just goes right up to the surface and, and they say, oh, we've kind of been fooling you all this time. This has been in place. It's something to think about. And uh, with the last episode you've heard right before you heard this one, uh, a lot of what you might think about should have been skewed a bit. But that does bring the first hour of episode 259 to a close. Uh, when we come back for the second hour, we're going to jump into things. I want to get Alphonse's take on the governor's kind of illegal dictates that they've been handing out. Almost looks to me like the 
state governments have set them up to prove that they don't follow the law, that they're ineffective and they need to go away because after all, we all need to be governed by Taco Bell, don't we? Anyhow, join us at crow777radio.com for hour two. That is the only true crow site, C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. There it is, man. Cheers. Is the enemy of knowing.